as long as I've been teaching, people get up on a microphone and they they all do a nice, very generic, basic read. And it's not knocking anybody's socks off. That's Dave Leffel, voiceover casting director, 26-year veteran audio engineer, ADR supervisor for NBC's Chicago Fire and Chicago PD, voiceover demo producer, and has voiced commercials for McDonald's, Sears, Ford, Budweiser, Coca-Cola, and the list goes on. He's currently teaching beginning voiceover classes at the Acting Studio Chicago. And I'm Lee Foster. You're listening to Action, a podcast dedicated to the pursuit of acting excellence. On this episode, part one of how to book more voiceover work. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash actionpodcast. One title that I highly recommend is Notes to an Actor by Ron Morosco, the teacher on the first nine episodes of this podcast. The number one thing for people coming into a room is to realize, you know, you finally got off your butt and did it. You know, you, you took the steps towards getting some knowledge, doing the research uh, to find out how to really do this because there's so many people who think like, Oh, yeah, I'll take a shot at it. Oh, yeah, I'm just like anybody else. I can read. I'll get in there. I'll do it. And they don't realize, you know, there's tools of the trade. There's there's things to learn. There's there's a right way. There's not necessarily <laughs> – that's funny. There's not even necessarily a right way. There's certainly just tools of the trade and approaches that every actor should have under their belt before they go opening their mouth and doing an audition. Um, I'm sure that for on-camera work, it's the same way. There's a lot of preparation in how you present yourself. And for some reason, people think when it comes to their voice, they're just going to open their mouth and talk, and they're going to be themselves. And it's it's much more than that. They realize, uh, you know, being yourself is, is a trick in itself. Um, being comfortable behind the microphone is maybe something they never thought about. How do I get comfortable behind a mic? How do I get comfortable with the sound of my own voice? How do I make what I feel very apparent in my read, um, and how do I convey this message in a way that's powerful? Because I, you know, as long as I've been teaching, people get up on a microphone and they, they all do a nice, very generic, basic read. And it's not knocking anybody's socks off, and it's certainly not the winning read, um, but they got it done. They got it out of their mouth. They read it at a nice, comfortable pace. They, many of them, observe the punctuation. Um, and if somebody really has a little moxie and uh, charisma and they can add something to it right then and there on the spot, they'll do it. They'll go for it. Um, but most people just simply don't make a choice. They just read it. And it's sad because if you, didn't, if you don't make a choice, if you don't at least take a few minutes to look at that copy and if you don't examine it, to find out what the message really is, um, maybe some, uh, you know, adjectives or, you know, even if you did it in an ultra-explanatory tone, that would be fine. You would have made a choice to, to explain it to me as the listener. And I'm fine with that because at least you would have grabbed my attention. You're explaining something to me that I didn't know. But if you really want to perform a script, you need to know what's in there, and you need to know maybe the essence of the message that that writer intended to give. So you really do have to look at it, because if you don't, it's going to be the most generic-sounding thing ever. And uh, these reads from most actors end up being literally lifeless. 
There's nothing in there. If we laid it against music or if we uh, put it against other actors talking, maybe the people on camera and the voice was interjecting in between, I can guarantee you that almost everybody's default read is a little lifeless. They don't just, they haven't given the consideration to what their approach would be. And as soon as you start considering that, well, what is my approach? Maybe there was some nice direction for you, like man on the street interviewing people. Well, that's an easy one, especially if you're an on-camera actor. You've done those kind of auditions before. Certainly, they're everywhere. So playing a man on the street, an interviewer style, something like that is great. But when you need to sound smart or savvy or voice of authority, the voice of strength, all of those are part of the decision-making process. All of those are choices that you're making and how you're going to do this delivery and the voice choice that you're going to make. And everybody, you know, confounds their ideas with, well, my voice can't do that. Well, my voice doesn't really go there very well. Or, uh, you know, I, I don't think I have a really strong voice. I think that, you know, I'm usually, you know, more demure and I'm a softer person. I'm not outspoken. And they literally start, you know, muddling it up with the things they think they can't do. And really a good performance transcends all of that. A good performance will transcend your voice quality because we as a listener will get it. We'll get what you're doing. And hopefully you're, you've made a choice that's strong enough for you that you're spot on. And, you know, we all go to the movies. We know when something's good. We know when something's bad. You, anybody can hear a bad performance versus a good performance, a believable performance versus a not believable one. We're all sitting there going, what are they doing? What is that? Um, but if that actor's made a choice and that actor is committed to that voice, whether it is the man on the street or an interview style or even a sportscaster or whatever it is, we're going to get it as a listener. Now, are they going to be great at it? You might not be great at it, but making a choice is better than making none. Because if you make none, I'm going to hear that too. And it's going to be pretty lame and very uninteresting to me as a producer uh, and certainly as an engineer, when I go to try and creatively put it with the other things that I need to do, whether it's sound design or music or what, whatever's going on, um, you know, there certainly needs to be an approach from the voice and the actor. And, and, and if it's a good one, I can make it work. You know, we'll find music that works with that person's voice. We have the, we have the benefit uh, in radio production where really a lot of times the, the actual music hasn't been chosen. Um, so we're going with inspiration of what that actor gives us and, and what we have to work with. So as long as the actor made a choice, as long as the actor was directable, um, once they make that choice, they start laying it out there. The creatives might go, oh, oh I love that. You know, that, that's really good. Um, that sounds kind of, you know, uh, a little more off the cuff, laid back. Um, can you just kind of uh, hone it in a little more like you're talking to someone, like right there on the street or something? If you give them... If you give those creatives a little nuggets of your performance that they can glob onto and then start directing you and take you somewhere, that's great. Because I've seen far too many sessions. You know, I've been doing this for 25 years. I've seen far too many sessions where the beginning was so, uh, you know, plain that the creatives didn't really know what to do with it. And then they hmm. started not asking much of the talent. They started you know, not being demanding or not really working to get something um, from them. But when the when the talent showed that they were willing to make choices and, you know, let's say they made a choice and the creative said, 
well, that's really good, but, you know, it's kind of, I don't know, it's a little too formal. I didn't like it. You sound like, you know, you don't sound like a laid-back guy. All right, I'll do it again. I'll lay it back a little bit more. Let's lay it back. And then you can lay it back a little bit more, and they say, okay, I like that. But now you don't sound uh, loud enough. You know, we've got a lot of energy in our spot, and you've got to be just a little more um, a little more projection, maybe a little more energy, a little more excitement. And then you're getting somewhere, and then you're taking direction, and you're doing it, and we're on this road. But to to give ambivalent reads or to give reads where you're not really committed to the product or committed to the message or really understand what the message is, it's not good because then they've got to walk you through everything. Then they got to give you all the underlines, and they got to give you all the all the words that you should be emphasizing, and they got to give you adjectives that are important, and they got to tell you the lines that are, you know, the whole reason we wrote this spot is because of this one line. You know, this is really important information. People that have been doing this for you know ten and fifteen years, they find those lines right away. They they know what to look for because those are the nuggets that they're looking for, as opposed to all right, what is the opposite way? What am I going to do for this creative? What am I going to give them? What nugget am I going to give them? I mean, their direction was fun and, and, and energetic, uh, but not too fast and not too loud. Okay, great. We'll be fun. We'll be energetic. We just won't be loud. But, you know, if, if anybody who's auditioned in voiceover knows that no matter how much of that direction they look at, they take, they think they nailed, they hear the spot go to air, and it's nothing like what they thought. And that's only because once we finally got the actor in the booth and we finally got him in the room uh, and that person won the job based on our original direction, now we've got him. And now we've got playtime and now we can really turn this into something. So even though you auditioned, you did a great job, you go across the street going, hey, I want it, they love me, you're remembering your read or, you know, now we send things in via MP3 in an email. We can always go back to our email and listen to our audition pretty darn quickly and be walking across the street with that voice in mind, everything we had set, have our hopes up for doing exactly what we did. They loved it. All i got to do is go in and do that again. And we get over there, and no, now, now you're on. Now they got you in person. Now they're going to still make you jump through some hoops. So a lot of it is you know, being able to change what you did uh, being able to go with the flow, being able to take direction. And certainly you have to commit to a performance and a choice, but you got to be ready to change on a dime. They might not like your choice. They might want to, you know, do something different. Hey, we love what you did in the audition, but now that we got you here, uh, we could hear just a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of uh, a southern thing in you. We want to play that up a little bit more. Oh, yeah, I'm from the south or whatever. I'm certainly not. I'm very Midwestern. But, um <laughs> Somebody else may not, and they could they could hear that in their voice, and they could decide to do something with it. So I, as much as I like to harp on the ability to make a choice, um, I got to turn the dime on it and say, but it's an ability to, you know, release yourself from that. Should they want you to, you got to be able to go with the flow and come up with you know whatever they want you to lean towards. So let me let me ask you this, Dave. Uh, so you you're a casting director who's you, you often listen to loads and loads of the same audition oh, over and over again, right? All the time. So would you say that the reason the the the, the um average reason why uh somebody is, just gets passed by is because is not because of their voice, but because the read was just boring and lifeless? 
Most they, of the time. Most you know of the I mean? time. I mean, I don't think people look at a stopwatch. I don't think they realize that, you know, when it's a 30-second spot, they read it in 32 seconds um, or 34 because they're just they're, they're focusing on what they're doing. And had they put it against a stopwatch, they would have realized that uh, it needed more energy, it needed to be quicker, and it needed to move along. And usually when something has to move along and it needs a little energy, by virtue of default, it, it has more energy as soon as you speed it up. And as soon as you make the read quicker, you're injecting some energy just to get it against the clock, get it to time. I mean, today, almost everybody on their smartphone or whatever has some kind of stopwatch. Uh, even on your computer, there's some kind of clock or stopwatch that you can get access to. So, you know, double-checking and making sure the time is there. Even, even the recording software you're recording into, if you make a selection on your audition, you can see how long it is. So I'm always double-checking the length of what I did, especially if my agent says, hey, there's a lot of stuff in here, it's a 30, and I'll be all worried about it, and I'll do my read, and it's in 26.5. And I'm like, really? Because that wasn't a problem for me, but it can be for other people. And I hear it a lot of times. And, you know, somebody could have a great voice, and it's like, wow, she was the perfect mom voice. She sounded 35. She sounded great. But, oh, my God. She's reading so slow, she doesn't sound like a human being. You know, when we're our most conversational, we're pretty quick. I mean, mm -hmm. you and I are back and forth right now. We're bantering, and people speak pretty quickly. But for some god-awful reason, when they get on a microphone, they feel the need to slow down. And uh, that's definitely <laughs> not a wise thing, because as soon as you slow down, you're making it all too important. You're making it heavy-handed. You're making it bigger than what it actually is. And uh, if you just kept your speed and talk like you talk, uh, you're probably a lot better off. That's amazing. Is there anything else like that that's just a, an automatic, their audition goes in the trash can sort of thing? Um, I just had a couple creatives, more than one, tell me that uh, all they need is the name slate. All I want to do is hear someone say their name and start reading my script. When they go... Uh, this is Dave Level, Stuart Talent, uh, this is McDonald's, I, you know, uh, Magic in the Sandwich. Uh, they know. They know what they wrote. They know the product they wrote it for. They really don't care what agent you're with because they just want to know your name and they want to hear you read. As soon as you start adding extra stuff, they're already tuning out. You're already making yourself sound too important. You're already making yourself sound like, and they're like, okay, we get it. We just want to hear you read. <laughs> So I was I was surprised by that, but when I get auditions from people, when I'm doing a casting, when I get auditions from people and they add all that extra stuff, I just cut it off after their name um, because I know that about creatives now. Um, but, you know, there's not agents telling their talent to do that and be mindful of, you know, just slating your name and doing it. And it, it would amaze you how many go in the garbage just because the recordings are so god-awful. And one of it is I think the agent should be kicking back those auditions to talent at home that are sending in a poor quality audition, uh, a poor recording. And also, you know, it's on the talent, too. You know, if they're doing an audition from home and they're recording it, they certainly have some way of playing it back. So if they hear and they know their audition is distorted, um, they should fix it. You know, they shouldn't be sending in something that is a horrible recording. I'm working in a world-class recording studio, and when I send in my auditions, I know 
that they're impeccably recorded <laughs> um, just because I, I know what they sound like up against people's home studios. But people who really take this craft seriously, they're doing everything in their power to make their home studio sound pretty good. They're deadening the room or they're talking into their closet with a bunch of clothes in it, so there's not a lot of room slap back and room reverb. Uh, they're double-checking the level of their recording and making sure that the, at least the recorded level is good. And they're, you know, standing back enough from the microphone that they're not eating the thing so that it, it doesn't sound like they're right on top of it. And unfortunately for a lot of home users, you know, there's a lot of great tabletop USB microphones that have come out that are only about 100 bucks to $200. There's a lot of, you can get a lot of great quality at home now uh, for minimal investment, but they're tabletop. So you take a script, you lay it on the tabletop, you lean right over the mic, and you're on top of the thing. So even though they've got headphones on and they're listening to what they're doing, I don't think they're taking into account the relationship of how close they are to that microphone. But um, as long as the recording quality is good, it doesn't really matter, you know, how close you are or not. Maybe it demanded you be closer because it's a softer read. I, I don't really want to beat people up for being too close or, too, or, or not to the microphone, but certainly listening back to your recording and making sure the recording good, that's a numero uno. <laughs> your best chance at, you know, at least being listened to because, uh, if I get in 30 women's audition, I can almost guarantee that 8 to 10 of them go in the garbage because they sound so bad. And, it's, and, and their, their performance may have been halfway decent, but the quality of the recording is so god-awful, I'm not going to make my client listen to that. You know, too bad, so sad. They, they're a professional, and getting into the business, they should do a little research and make sure that their quality of their recording is good. It's unfortunate, but, you know... You're going to take your craft seriously, and you're going to be sending on auditions, and you expect them to be competitive. Uh, that's the number one way to be competitive. At least make sure your recording is good. When I audition, I do audition at home, and I'm starting to think that all of my auditions probably sound horrible, which is probably <laughs> the case. <laughs> but uh, but I also, I, I mean, I don't think I, I think I have a pretty decent ear, and like I think my equipment's pretty good, and and I. You know, I take time to make sure it sounds good, and if it doesn't, I redo it and everything. And I have like, sure. I have like a, I don't know what they call it, like a sound dampening shield, and like a, I think it's called a pop shield as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I like, I've done, I've tried to make it sound good, but um, I also edit my my auditions a little bit. Like, I'll cut out like if a space is a little bit too long, like I'll just cut the space out and shorten it. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Is that is that kosher? Is that cool? Can you tell when that happens? And if you can tell, does it bother you? Um, I can only tell if it happens if it's a horrible edit. I mean, I I do the same thing. Sometimes I'm just looking down the page for the next sentence. Sometimes I can't find it, and I had a little too big of a pause, so I'm always pulling it up. Okay. Um, and and it's it's very appropriate to fix your pauses, just as long as you know I don't hear some clunky clunky <laughs> bad edit. Sure, sure. Um, it's good. And then. Um, you know, there's there's something to be said for honesty about who you are and and what you just did. So if you get in there and you do a read and you just said it, I listen to my stuff, I try and make sure it's good. If it's bad, I go in and I do it again. Um, there's people who are so committed to just doing what they do. Um, I mean, I, I'm not going to name names, but I've, I've got actors and actresses alike that come in 
and they'll do a read for me on a Monday for a client for, let's say it's not a commercial, let's say it's a narration, and they're reading a good, you know, three to four minute script, and they read this, you know, three to four minute video, and they give me a nice straight narration read, and then on Thursday, they're hired for another client for more narration, and I go, good for them. You know, they're a great narrator. They're they're getting more work. But they come in and they do the exact same narrator, the exact same read that they did for client A as they did for client B. And does that make it bad? No. Client A and client B don't really know each other, and they don't really know what's going to be done for each other's, you know, corporate video that's going to play in a one-time, you know, annual meeting or something. But that narrator knows that they just gave the same thing to both clients. They just did the same exact read. All they did was change some words. And uh, I got some very good advice when I got into the business from a, a wonderful voiceover actor in town named Pete Stacker, who was also with Stuart uh, Talent. And, um, you know, Pete has been through a lot of things. Pete's played the classic announcer. He's played a lot of comedy. He's played... Uh, some really, really huge, huge campaigns. He's been very lucky, but he delivers. And when I asked him, you know, what's the number one secret for him and what's the number one secret for anyone's success, he said, do something special for every client. Do something for that client. Don't do the read that you did for client A, for client B. Give that job its due. Give that job something special. Make sure that you're doing what is required for that job and a little bit more. Um, Give it its own identity because if you're out there just slinging the same hash every read, you're really not doing anything. And, yeah, sure, you can make $30,000, $40,000 a year maybe doing it, but you're not going to, you know, knock anybody's socks off. Once we've heard the read, we heard the read. Oh, yeah, I know that guy. I know what he's going to do. Nah, not for this one. But if they felt like you're workable and you're a mold, moldable uh, piece of art, they know that they can come in with you and get something out of you. There's, you know, another great example is another fellow actor at Stuart Talent, uh, a guy named Tim Dadabo. Tim made a fantastic reputation for himself um, because he was moldable. Because people said, you know, we really don't know what we want. We just want an actor who can come in and try a bunch of stuff and try a bunch of different voices until we're happy, and then we'll know we got it. Well, he showed people he could, and he was a very moldable character, and he was able to change his voice. Um, We're not talking like crazy animation style. We're not talking, you know, anything outlandish. (laughs) We're talking charactery, and what kind of perception can you give the listener of your age range or sounding darker or more sinister or hell laid back like a cowboy or um anything there you know if you're a moldable talent you can do that i mean i i would love to say that i'm a moldable talent i've been doing this for a very long time and uh been very happy with career and and money that i make per year and um i still don't you know i still think of myself as an announcer um and that i'm not really an actor I think of myself as a classic announcer. And there are many actors who approach voiceover who don't think of themselves as an announcer at all. They would love to talk in the first person and actually act, whereas that scares the crap out of me. 
I would <laughs> I would rather announce Ford and Budweiser and Sears and McDonald's and and I would love to do a classic announcer all day long. Um, but the truth is that uh, in that first statement that I made about being honest about who you are, people want to honestly hear who you are. So you're going to lean toward the first person. You know, they know that you sound the way you do, and they like the aspect of uh, no schmaltz, you know, no spin on it. They want you to sound more like yourself. So, you know, I've never thought of myself as a cool guy. And I just tried to say, you know, I sound like a yoo-hoo. I'm just some Midwestern schmo. And, uh, you know, how do I sound cool? Or how do I sound authoritative? How do I sound stronger? And that's when I really got into, you know, the power of the voice. And how do I take advantage of my instrument? And how do I do something extra with it so maybe I can go to those places uh, with my voice? Certainly, you know, we'd all love to be on everything. We'd all love to be voicing everything under the sun. Reality is your voice just isn't for everything. You really need to be honest with yourself about what your voice is good for. Make your voice good for, you know, a nice little mini repertoire of stuff, like when you work on a demo and you come up with eight pieces. Hopefully all eight pieces are radically different. You know, you're going to have three that maybe are more announcer and they're going to sound similar, but you'll vary the product, vary the energy, and and you can come up with a really nice demo of, of a variety pack. But that's everybody's starting point. You know, you got to start somewhere. We all get on this train, and hopefully we're a work in progress, and we're constantly evolving and uh, discovering other things that we can do with our voice. Maybe we were never asked to do that movie trailer read and get in close on the mic and be sinister and, you know, and thicken our voice a little bit. Maybe we were never asked for that, but one day it hits us and we're like, hell, you know what, maybe I should spend a little time working on that read because it's coming up more and more often. And I'm not really prepared to do that, so I think I should spend some more time practicing that. And then, and then you're getting somewhere. Dave Leffel's beginning voiceover class is Wednesday evenings at the Acting Studio Chicago. His class always sells out, so sign up quickly at actingstudiochicago.com. This episode has been brought to you by Audible.com. I love Audible. I think it's an amazing service. I've been a member for a long time now. I listen to audiobooks all the time. So I'm excited to say that for the listeners of the Action Podcast, just go to audibletrial.com slash actionpodcast to download a free audiobook. And again, I highly recommend Notes to an Actor by Ron Morosco. If you have a question you'd like Dave or any of the other coaches to answer on an upcoming episode, please call 206-424-9368 and leave a message on the podcast voicemail. I'm Lee Foster. Thanks for listening.